Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another great episode. NFL training camps are opening. Lots of news to cover. We're each going to pick NFL Dark Horse MVPs for this season, and we're going to start our division previews with the AFC West today. Joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on? Hey, Brad. Myriad of stories coming through, starting from Sunday on through, and it's like we're being inundated with news all the way through, and it looks like it's probably going to continue through the week. It's finally happening. Football is here, and sports talk radio and us will get a lot more excited, and there'll be a lot more to talk about. Yeah, you're not kidding, man. Training camps are opening. There is a buzz, man. When training camp starts, it's like the unofficial start to football season. This is when it really dials up, and there's no doubt, Alex, because Right at that time, all of a sudden, boom, we've got stories left and right. We have a ton of stuff we want to get to and some fun things to cover as well. It is going to be fun, guys. Let's jump into it. Big story, of course, has been Saquon Barkley. We talked about it in recent episodes. He has now signed his franchise tag with the New York Giants. The deal is a one-year adjusted franchise tag worth $10.1 million fully guaranteed and up to $11 million with incentives. Now, the tag was adjusted to add a $2 million signing bonus. The deal does not include a no-franchise tag clause. And what that means is that the Giants can tag him again after this season. I know that is something that Saquon Barkley and his team did not want in this contract, but the Giants were able to get that as part of the deal. The Giants and Barkley had been working for nine months to reach an agreement on this deal. Before we dive into this, Alex, what are your thoughts on this deal? We know Barkley had been fighting for a long-term deal. It looks like he's going to have to settle for an adjusted franchise tag. I think this, if he signed it, then I'm going to have to say this worked out for the best for both sides. From what I understand, it still gives them the opportunity to negotiate throughout the season, which I think this is one of those times when a player is simply going to bet on himself. And for Saquon Barkley's purpose, hopefully he can stay healthy and have a repeat or be even better than what he was last year. And then he will have the power to negotiate. However, if there is any setback, if there is any injury, then this is all for naught. So it almost feels like the fate of the running back position is riding on his legs and his knees to be specific to see if he can push through. And if he is able to push through, this will be a breakthrough for the running back, a possible breakthrough. I'll I'll be specific, a possible breakthrough for the running back position to see what he is and then to see the deal that he gets after if he can show and prove. But everything is just riding on this season and everybody's going to be watching. Yeah, last week's episode, we did a deep dive into the running back market. 
Saquon Barkley obviously is a big component to this. And you're right, Alex, because this storyline has been really interesting. And the way this played out is really interesting because we know Barkley said during an appearance recently on the Money Matters podcast that he may consider not playing this season. Now, this is obviously before he signed this recent deal. Things were getting messy. This situation was getting messy, Alex. I give the Giants a lot of credit here for not folding and offering him a long-term deal. Like you said, I think this could be a potential win for both. Barkley is still going to make a lot of money here this season, and the Giants don't have to take on the risk of a contract extension. He's a great player when he's healthy. We know that, but he's already had health issues. So I think it was a smart move by the Giants, and I think Barkley is in a good situation to get paid this year. Like you said, bet on himself and see where it goes from there. Absolutely. And you know what? Kudos to the Giants' new GM. Throughout the entire process, even when you heard from Saquon's agents, he never stopped communicating. And we always hear these instances when either when the agent shuts down, then the team shuts down, and they don't try to communicate anymore. He consistently had an open line, had an open door to consistently communicate, and that probably helped the negotiations as well. The L.A. Chargers and quarterback Justin Herbert have agreed on terms to a five-year, $262.5 million contract extension. The deal includes a no-trade clause, $133.7 million in full guarantees, and $193.7 million in injury guarantees. Alex, what are your thoughts on this deal? Finally, the Chargers are spending money. That ownership team is spending money. As we know, they didn't spend money to stay in San Diego when they had the opportunity, but they're finally paying the people that need to be paid. This is a franchise quarterback, regardless of what anybody else may think about him and how he's being pushed in the NFL over other quarterbacks, but he is a franchise QB for this team. Someone that you look at that you can say, this guy should be a perennial pro bowler, all pro and playoff contender every single year. So now that you've gotten him sewn up, you've got your wide receivers sewn up, you draft another wide receiver, now it's time to build out the team. I believe they may have two more years with him before this deal kicks in. So now they have a two-year window before they have to contend with the financial ramifications of this contract. So now's the time. Do what you need to do. We already talked about who should have been coaching this team. Obviously, they didn't do it. So now... You have this two-year window, regardless of anything you do from here until then, to make something happen. Because as we talked about it before, if we look at the landscape of the AFC, it doesn't look like Mahomes is going anywhere. As we know, Josh Allen isn't going anywhere. We know where Joe Burrow is. And here come bringing up the rear in terms of those people that I named. Here comes Trevor Lawrence. So this window is going to get short and tight real quick. So they better strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, because it feels like the coaching, and we've touched on it here recently on recent episodes, like you mentioned, has really held back this team more than anything. We know it's not Herbert. He's a 25-year-old top five quarterback in the NFL. This was a no-brainer for L.A. They had to get this deal done. And I think it actually is going to add even more pressure to Brandon Staley and this coaching staff. They have to take a step forward and show that this is the right staff moving forward with this young quarterback. Look, this is a guy who's been great since he stepped into the NFL. He was a rookie of the year, broke almost every rookie quarterback record in the book. No quarterback in NFL history has passed for more yards in his first three seasons than Justin Herbert and 
three consecutive seasons with at least 25 passing touchdowns. The only other quarterback to do that in his first three years is Peyton Manning. So we're talking about a big-time young franchise quarterback that you 100% can build a championship team around, but now they've got to get the pieces around him right. And we've talked about it at nauseum, but they've got to get this coaching staff right. Huge, huge pressure for Brandon Staley and the Chargers. This deal is going to put him on pace with some recent quarterback deals. Justin Herbert now at $52 million a year. Lamar Jackson, who got a contract recently, is at $52 million. And Jalen Hurts is at $51 million. So you look at the contract, you think, man, that's a huge deal. But this is really the ballpark that we expected, Alex. Right. And it also now sets the table for what we should be looking for. As we I saw recently that Cincinnati is currently in negotiating with Joe Burrow. So now this also sets up for what Joe Burrow should be getting, be which will be the next QB sign. We already spoke about this. If you've been listening to us, we already said that this offseason, you will see Burrow and Herbert get their deals. Now you've seen Herbert and now it's time for Burrow to get paid. So, according to Tom Pelissaro of NFL Network, the Jets have signed four-time NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers to a new two-year, $75 million guaranteed contract through the 2024 season. Now, Rodgers had nearly $110 million guaranteed remaining on his old deal in Green Bay. He's taking less for a shot at a ring in New York. Now, Rodgers' new contract is technically a five-year deal, including two option years that spread out bonus money and create a 2023 cap number of just under nine, of $9 million. This is going to offer a lot of flexibility for the Jets to be able to build around him. Now, this is all coming from, like I said, Tom Pelissaro of NFL Network. This story just broke, Alex. What are your thoughts on New York and this updated contract from Aaron Rodgers? I think it's great. It's happening during Hard Knocks, so it's going to be a point of reference on Hard Knocks. Aaron Rodgers, the ultimate controller of everything around him and his aura, they're going to be able to talk about it. It's going to endear him to that team. It's going to endear him to the organization. And most importantly, it's going to endear him to that city. And we know New York Philly fans, we're in Chicago as well, we're a lot, we are some of the harsher fans of all sports altogether, but specifically in football, especially with what this team is trying to do. They brought him there not just to get to the playoffs. They brought him there to get to a Super Bowl, to do the things that no other quarterback's been able to do since Joe Namath. So he's now taking the steps to say, I'm going to give back $35 million. So if we have to go maybe find somebody, maybe go get one more person that can get us over the hump. Perhaps let's just say it's a running back and they need to go get a running back because Brees Hall hasn't returned to the form that we thought he was going to have when he was on track for rookie of the year. And that's something they need to go get. They now have the flexibility to work with that, work with his contract to perhaps go get a guy that can be the final piece to that team. So I think this is good for Jet fans. I think this is good for the organization and I think it's going to be good for hard knocks. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Alex. Taking a $35 million pay cut with the Jets in this new deal and really committing to this team and giving them more cap flexibility, I love it because it tells you exactly what Aaron Rodgers is after, and that's a ring. And we know that's why he came to New York. He wants to really cement his legacy here if he's able to get another championship with another franchise here at the end of his career. He knows what that would mean for the narrative around him and his spot in history, and it looks like he is more than committed to trying to get that done. I love it, man, and you're absolutely right. It's going to be a great watch on Hard Knocks, no doubt about it. 
Josh Jacobs didn't report Tuesday for the first day of Raiders training camp. He and the Raiders failed to reach an agreement on a contract extension by last week's deadline, but Jacobs cannot be fined for missing time in training camp because he doesn't have a signed contract. Now, we know Jacobs was a first-round pick in 2019. He didn't have his fifth-year option picked up by Las Vegas last year. He's coming off of a career season where he led the league in rushing yards. As a Raider fan, I, I really, I've always liked Josh Jacobs, leader in the locker room, quiet, shows up, does his job, hates losing, obviously coming from at the University of Alabama. We know the pedigree that he's accustomed to there. And again, I look for him to perhaps get a similar deal to Saquon Barkley, if now that's the standard for what we're looking at. Or maybe even perhaps he's willing to take, obviously, a little bit less. He wouldn't be the magnitude where Saquon would get a full, his regular contract. But maybe there's something there that there's some wiggle room. And maybe they're closer than we think in terms of where Saquon and the Giants were to where Saquon and those are. But either way, I expect him to be in by the beginning, maybe the first week in August or somewhere between now and the next two weeks, the second week of August, he'll be in camp. He's a person that just loves the game and wants to play. I can't see him holding out in terms of likes of what we thought Saquon would do. That's just not in his character. Yeah, he had a big time season, man. And not getting that fifth year option, I think a lot of people were surprised by that. I know I was surprised when the Raiders didn't pick up that fifth year option. And man, he really proved himself in a big time way last season. We talked about this running back market, Alex, and we talked about it just a minute ago with Saquon Barkley, of course. And look, these guys deserve to be upset. I don't think there's any question about that. I get why they're upset. But like we've talked about here recently, Alex, I don't think these owners are going to budge on this. I, I just don't see it happening. I don't think Jacobs or any of these backs that are looking for deals I don't think they have any leverage here, Alex. Yeah, it's it's going to be an ongoing saga this season. It's specifically looking at Jacobs and Barkley because I think this is a pivotal moment for the RB. If these guys go out and perform, this will really be a big win for the running back market. As, as these running backs continue to get drafted and as teams continue to try and keep multiple running backs. So I think this is a big year for the things that we spoke about that have been going on in the news all across America. And what we've been talking about on this pod is looking at their running back situation. A lot rides on these two gentlemen. Dallas Cowboys corner Trayvon Diggs signs an extension for a reported $97 million over five years with the maximum value of $104 million. It's going to make Diggs one of the highest paid cornerbacks in the NFL. He was entering the final year of his rookie deal. He's a former second round pick back in 2020 out of Alabama. He's coming off back-to-back Pro Bowl seasons and was also a first-team All-Pro in 2021. This is a really fascinating player. This is a polarizing player here, Alex, because it seems like there's a wide range of opinions on Trayvon Diggs and his value. Clearly, he's going to get paid like an elite corner. Some might argue he isn't an elite corner or that he's even overrated. We talked about him on a recent episode when we did our cornerback draft. Since entering the NFL, no cornerback in the league has more picks than Trayvon Diggs. But he's also allowed the most yards over the last three seasons and is tied for third in most touchdowns given up in that stretch as well. Yeah, and I think what 
we're not talking about is actually his matriculation over the past three years. Those first two years, he was strictly trying to be a ball hawk. He was playing the quarterback position, but he was going for the ball. He was trying to make uh, he was trying to make big plays every time the ball came in his direction. I allow why the first year he gave up a lot of yards. I allow why the second year he led the league in interceptions, but was also top three, if I'm not mistaken, in yards given up, because when you decide to take those chances and you don't make the play, that's seven the other way. So I think those first two years, perhaps, and if we were to maybe look at what he did last year, we would see a vast difference because when I watched him last year, he started to turn the corner to learn how to play cornerback and not just be a ball hawk, but to simply learn to play cornerback and play the receiver and the ball as opposed to just playing the ball. I was watching his eyes. I was watching what he was doing. I was looking at the pass deflections. I was looking at how he was using his hands off of the line of scrimmage, rerouting, trying to reroute the receiver, starting to use the sideline as a second receiver. There were things I thought last year was his best year in the NFL, never mind the interceptions because that's just a stat. And then when we look at everything in context, like you said, he he had given up third most yards that year as well. But what he did last year, I saw a person that learned how to fully play the cornerback position all the way around. And he, if he stays in this mindset, we are looking at somebody who's going to be a top one, two, three, or let's just say a top five corner in this league for years to come. And I think the Cowboys also saw that as well. Dan Quinn, a person that had the Legion of Boom, that's probably been working with him, maybe having him have conversations with some of his guys, maybe a Richard Sherman or whoever, to say, this is how you learn to play cornerback. And now what we're seeing is what coaches do, because this is what coaching is about coaching the bad things out, and then coaching to the skill set to maximize the player's talent. I think that's what we're seeing with Trayvon Trayvon Diggs. I'm glad you brought that up, Alex, because he does give up a lot of yards. And even though he gives up a lot of yards, he has improved in that area. And we saw it last year, like you touched on, made a big improvement from that regard. He's a big play corner. I mean, we know that. He's a big play corner. He makes game-changing plays with his takeaways. But here's the key, and you hit on this too, Alex, He's still improving. I don't think we've seen this guy's best football yet. And that's scary because this guy has a high ceiling. And for me, and I know this is somewhat controversial because there's a lot of people that don't think he's good, think he's overrated. I get all that. For me, Alex, and the guy that I see on tape, he's a building block defensive player at a premium position. Dallas had to pay this guy. And let me just say, this also fits the Dallas timeline as well. As we know, in another year or so, Micah Parsons will be coming up for a deal as well. So, and then also Dak's deal will be running out. So there are a lot of things happening within this three-year period where Dallas is going to, we're going to start, we're probably going to have more conversations on Dallas throughout the season. And as this pod continues, because they have in these next three years, they're going to have a lot of big decisions to make, but this Trayvon Diggs signing fits the timeline of what they're going to do with their cornerstones and an edge rusher and with the cornerstone in a shutdown corner. Bills running back Naheem Hines recently suffered a season-ending knee injury while sitting on a stationary jet ski and is now caught in a conflict with the team over what he will or won't be paid in 2023 because Hines suffered a non-football injury. His salary of $2.56 million gets wiped away without question. What are your thoughts on this story, Alex? 
Well, the story itself is a wild story. It's not like he was doing something stupid. He was actually sitting stationary, as you said, on a, on a jet ski and got blindsided and unfortunately sustained that injury. Now, because of the way the contract is structured, I mean, this is business. It does sound when we use a human element, it does sound bad when, you know, with the contract not being fully guaranteed and so on and so forth. However, we know that they can put him on IR and they get 60% of that money back anyway from insurance. So they, the team does have the ability to retain him. But again, Naheem Hines, unfortunate situation. I know that he's not one of these starting backs or one of the backs we were speaking about earlier that's being affected by contracts. However, he's a, he's a good contributor, good special teams guy can be, was looking probably to being a good third down guy as well, but it's just an unfortunate story all around. Exactly, Alex. Unfortunate situation. But the bottom line here is as an NFL player, you can't put yourself in those situations off the field. Now, I know it's not his fault. He was hit by somebody else. He was just sitting on a jet ski. I get that. But there's stipulations in these guys' contracts about doing things like this, about going out, you know, jet skiing or rock climbing or hang gliding and all kinds of stuff. These NFL contracts have stuff in writing about not doing these things because of these types of risks. They don't want players taking these types of risks and doing these types of things. So as an NFL player, like like you said, it's unfortunate. I feel bad for the guy. I really do. But you just can't make that decision. You can't put yourself in that situation. And like you said, Alex, this is, is a guy who... It's probably a better special teams player than an actual running back. But this is also a guy that I think had potential to be the starting punt returner and kick returner for the Bills this season in probably a rotational position in the backfield. Really, really unfortunate story now that he's going to miss the entire season. Chiefs All-Pro defensive tackle Chris Jones has been seeking a new deal this offseason. He did not report to training camp. Reports are saying now that the two sides remain far apart on a new deal. Now, Jones is the only player to earn a Pro Bowl selection on that side of the ball for Kansas City. He's an anchor for that defense, an elite player, a top-five defensive player in the NFL. In his seven-year NFL career, He's only missed six games. He's coming off a monster season where he posted career highs in sacks and quarterback pressures. Now, it sounds like both sides have mutual interest in getting a deal done, but one side has all the leverage here, Alex. Now, general manager Brett Veach could get creative with the structure of a potential deal here to be able to make it work as far as with the cap, but I'm really curious to get your thoughts. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Chris Jones is sitting with a lot of leverage here. And one of the things is in understanding that he is in the last year of this contract. And then we also watched Jeffrey Simmons. And then we just watched Quentin Williams. And we also saw Dexter Lawrence all get paid. This man is due a raise. He is absolutely the anchor of that line, especially how they've now parted ways. Carlos Dunlap and Frank Clark, he is now really truly the anchor on this line while they have the young guys on the outside that are that appear to be coming along. But everything is going to start with him, specifically with the year that he had last year, just being as disruptive as, as he was. So with that being said, I mean, I would look at the fact that you need to put him, as far as I'm concerned, he needs to be right behind Aaron Donald. I saw there was a report, quote, and I'm using air quotes, a report that he was looking at anywhere like around $30 million. 
which would put him right under Aaron Donald, which most people will put number one with a bullet at defensive tackle, but put him right above Jeffrey. I believe it's Jeffrey Simmons that's sitting there at 28 million, if I'm not mistaken, average 28 million over the year. And of course, the way they structure Patrick Mahomes deal, they can always go back and restructure his deal and get more money. But Chris Jones, I don't think it's a big deal. I think Brett Veach, I think they're all going to be communicating. I mean, Chris Jones is a, is, a, is a wily veteran. He knows what to do. It's not that he needs to be there. He's going to come in. He's not going to be overweight. He's been doing this a while. He knows what needs to be done. So I know they're not worried there about that. And neither is Chris on his side because when it's time to play, he'll be there. He'll be in shape. But this is just the simple negotiating things that happen all the time when a person is going into a last year of a contract. This is the only kind of thing they have to say out loud to everybody. I need a new contract. So I I don't think there's going to be, this is going to be a short lived holdout. They'll get the deal done and he'll be, he'll be in camp maybe midway through because he's not a person that needs to come in and get a lot of work. Then he knows what he's doing. Just a dominant player. And I think he had a career year last year. And for a guy who's been in the league, as long as he has to be playing at that level, he absolutely deserves a pay raise here. He's outplayed his contract. He's going to get a big deal here. I think it's just a matter of finding the numbers that work. Brett Veach will find a way to make this deal work. Even if he has to get creative with the cap, I think this deal gets done sooner than later. The whole far apart on extension talks. I think I would be maybe a little nervous if I'm the chiefs there. Hopefully Chris Jones isn't looking for some outrageous, outlandish deal that isn't realistic. But I do think with this ownership group, with this GM, I expect the deal to get done as well. I expect him to come in and be ready to go, like you said, Alex, and the Chiefs keep rolling along. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the Tailgate Foodie the seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game. With their unique blend of spices and sauces, the Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio-quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone. Plus, 
five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord grape and lemon lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. The 49ers reported for training camp Tuesday, and quarterback Brock Purdy has been cleared to participate in practice. Now, quote, Brock is cleared and ready to go, John Lynch said. He went on to say, having said that, we're sticking and we're adhering to a plan that's been put in place for some time. Now, Purdy will follow a pitch count that includes two days of throwing, one day off. Original reports after the injury were really uncertain how long he'd be out. Many thought he would miss significant time this season, but it looks like Purdy is on track to be the starter week one. This has got to be great, great news if you're a 49ers fan. Great news, but I don't believe it. We know that John Lynch has been the king. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have been the king of Mr. Kings of misdirection. I don't believe he'll be ready for the season. I think they will have a possibility they needed him to be out there and they had to play somebody he could be ready. But I don't think for one second he is going to be the day one starter. I think they're going to take their time. They have a lot of things they need to figure out. It perhaps maybe gives them a chance to showcase Lance a little bit more to see if they can start to get some some trade talks going there. They do have Sam Darnold, but I don't believe this is just my gut feeling. I have no source or anything like that, that I've read. I'm just going off of the history of Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and the misdirection they've been giving us. I don't think he will be week one ready. I would say maybe by week three, but I definitely don't think week one ready. He will be. That's interesting, Alex. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. This is a, a team that kind of throws out smoke signals sometimes I think it's good news in the sense that it sounds like he's ahead of schedule because I think there was those initial reports when the injury first happened that they were thinking he could miss a big chunk of the year. It doesn't sound like that's going to be the case either way, but I do agree with you. It wouldn't shock me if they eased him into the season and maybe let him really get to 100% before he takes the field again. And with that being said, the Trey Lance thing makes a lot of sense Maybe he plays or maybe they have some sub packages for him, try to showcase some things that he can do. But I won't be surprised here if Sam Darnold's a starter. And with that team around Darnold, the amount of talent, the play calling, and everything that's in place there for the 49ers, I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if they start out the gates and actually play some good football here and aren't rushed at all to get Brock Purdy back on the field. It's definitely an interesting storyline, though. Let's stick with the 49ers here for a minute, Alex. Adam Schefter tweeted recently that 49ers GM John Lynch said he does not expect defensive end Nick Bosa to be with the team as training camp opens. 
due to their ongoing contract negotiations. It sounds like Bosa is not going to be on the practice field again until he has a new deal. Now, Nick Bosa, we know, was a defensive rookie of the year, a defensive player of the year, a three-time Pro Bowler, and was named first-team All-Pro once already in his career. In 2022, he led the NFL in sacks with 18 and a half. Bottom line here, he's one of the best players in the NFL at one of the most important positions. The 49ers said they're having really good communication with Bosa, so that's definitely a good sign. It sounds like him, his agent, and the management are expected to get a deal done here shortly, and I expect him to become one of the highest-paid edge defenders in the NFL, if not the highest-paid. Absolutely. This man has been putting in work. He came back from injury and showed he's still in tip-top shape. So salute to Nick Bosa. Again, we talked about this with Chris Jones. It's the same negotiating thing that we're going to see here as well, and rightfully so. This is one of the things that these players can use in terms of leverage for them. We do know that is a very good San Francisco defense. It's actually a very good line, but we know the guy on that line that you are looking at, number one with a bullet, when you're talking to your offensive line in in, in that room, in in that room preparing, you're looking at Nick Bosa and saying, how do we stop that guy? Because he's multiple. They can stand him up if they feel like it at times, or they could put it, or he could put his hand in the dirt. Either way, he's a force of nature when he's on the field. So this is a guy that's going to get signed again and then reset the market again for next year. I mentioned Michael Parsons earlier. Reset the market for somebody like him who's going to be coming up for a deal next year as well. So again, negotiating tactics, I love it for these guys. I love that these there's open communication between the GM. It's not a big deal. It's not anything that's going to disrupt training camp and anything that's going to disrupt the team. It's just simple negotiation. Alex, we know the season is right around the corner. I thought it'd be fun to take some picks at some dark horse MVP candidates for the 2023 season. Why don't you start this off, Alex? Who do you got first as a dark horse to circle in 2023? Well, most people may not see this person as a dark, as a, excuse me, as a dark horse, but I'm going with Trevor Lawrence. I, I think he actually will be set up to be an MVP. Doug Peterson has righted the ship offensively with him and put him in position. They get Calvin Ridley. They have Zay Jones. Now you can kick Christian Kirk to his rightful position as a slot. You signed Evan Ingram. You also drafted Brendan Strength. And then you have a running game with Tank Bigsby, the rookie they drafted out of Auburn, and Travis Travis Etienne. And we saw what he could do last year once they traded away James Robinson and he became the full-time starter. He's a multiple back that can will have a lot of yards from scrimmage, not just rushing, but can also receive as well and as this team matriculates they're going to be getting they're going to get better Trevor's going to get better in that offense and I think we're going to see a monster year from Trevor Lawrence we're going to see him take the leap that we see most of these quarterbacks take in their third year where they have full command of the offense and I believe he's ripe to be picked to be MVP this year I could see it, Alex. And as far as being a dark horse, maybe he's not the darkest dark horse. But if you look at the Vegas odds, almost every book right now has him at plus 1600 for NFL MVP odds entering the season right now. So to put that in perspective, Patrick Mahomes is the favorite, of course, to be the MVP. His uh, Mahomes is at plus 700. So there is a substantial gap between the quote unquote favorites at the top and a guy like Trevor Lawrence who slides fairly far down the list. So I like it, especially from a betting standpoint, if we're going to stay on that topic for just a second here, some of you guys that like to do these future bets, and I know I like to from time to time as well, 
Trevor Lawrence might be a good one to sprinkle some cash on here because I'm with you. I think this Jaguars team is poised to take another big step forward. They've got a good team in place. I like some of the upgrades they made. I like some of these young players taking a step forward around Trevor Lawrence. I love the Calvin Ridley move to add to that wide receiver room, giving him a true number one. I think you're right, Alex. This is a guy to circle here is a guy that maybe could be in the MVP mix. Now, we know quarterbacks obviously are at the top of the MVP voting for a reason, so I'm going to stick with quarterback here as well, Alex. I'm going to go with Tua Tagovailoa here. He started the 2022 season on a tear. I mean, we saw this guy putting up big numbers, playing his best football yet in this Mike McDaniel system. He has the weapons on the outside to put up big numbers. And look, the Dolphins made the playoffs last year with him on the sideline. So we know he's got a team around him that can make some noise. And when you've got a team that's having success, you've got a quarterback putting up big numbers, that's the kind of formula that gets you in the MVP mix. Now, he bulked up this offseason. I know that's been a big storyline. It's been all over social media. And he also trained in some jiu-jitsu trying to learn how to fall and try to avoid some of those concussions and injuries that he's been dealing with in recent seasons here. If he can stay healthy, and I I get it, that's a big question mark, unfortunately, for this guy. But if he can stay healthy, play a full season, and Miami wins the AFC East, makes the playoffs, puts up the big numbers like I talked about, I think he could be in the MVP mix, Alex. Last year, if he doesn't get hurt, I think 1,000% he was in the top three between he, Jalen, and Patrick Mahomes for MVP because he was putting up, he might actually have been in the lead when he went down because of what he was doing in that offense, showing off that arm when most people coming out said he didn't have the arm and how that offense was looking unstoppable. I want to say that when he got hurt, he might have been in the lead. If not, he was definitely in the top three with the with the aforementioned people that I, that I talked about. But again, yes, if he stays healthy, if they can balance out that running game with the weapons they have, he can be poised to have another breakout season and finish the job that he started last year, continue it on into this year. So I don't think that's a bad pick at all. So sticking with the theme, like you said, it, it's really the quarterback award. I'm going to look at Deshaun Watson. I think a full year in camp with Amari Cooper Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore in the slot with that offensive line, with David Njoku, and specifically with Nick Chubb, something that he has not had a consistent running game. I think we can look for maybe Deshaun Watson, who's going to be coming into the season with something to prove, with an offensive coordinator that I do have some faith in now I'm watching. I think his seat might be about to get a little bit warm. So I think that's also going to be a motivation for the coach as well. So I think we should be looking at Deshaun Watson and seeing that this guy is poised to have a breakout season and can possibly do some things with the way that roster is set up, specifically with the offensive line and the weapons. And critically, Nick Chubb running the way if he can maintain. He's really been the only running back outside of maybe uh, Derrick Henry that's just consistently been that guy. And we we picked him as number one on our best running backs list. And he comes in and has another season. I think we can see some big things from Deshaun Watson. 
Ooh, man, I like that, Alex. I like that take right there. And I- I'm going to reframe it here because I wouldn't call it a breakout season because we've seen him have success in the past. We know he can play at a Pro Bowl level. We've seen it. I'm thinking more comeback season, maybe comeback player of the year. And if he plays well enough, maybe some MVP buzz as well. I think the Browns are a sneaky sleeper this year. On a side note here, this is one of those teams to watch out for because nobody is talking about Cleveland after what they did last year, after how Deshaun looked at the end of the season. They are really flying under the radar right now, but this is a roster that still has a lot of talent, and you touched on it, Alex, and if he can really bounce back and come back to form and be the guy that we saw in Houston a few years ago, there is no doubt he could be in the MVP discussion. Stick with the quarterback theme here, because like you said, this is a quarterback award. We know that. It's been a long time since we've seen another position take this award home. So I'm gonna got, I've got another one here, Alex. How about Jared Goff? He found success last year in offensive coordinator Ben Johnson's system. He found so much success. Ben Johnson was starting to get a lot of buzz as a potential NFL head coach. Year two now in this system, I think it could be even better with more familiarity in the offense. Alex, we didn't love the Jameer Gibbs pick as far as where they took him. When we were doing the draft breakdowns, we weren't a big fan of taking him as early as they did, but... He's an explosive player, and he's going to add a new element to this offense, and he's going to be a weapon in the passing game as well. Now, they also drafted one of my top sleepers in the draft, tight end Sam Laporta out of Iowa. That's going to give him another pass catcher to go to, and they've got a top five offense last year. They're coming back this season, I should say, with a top five offense from last year. He plays behind maybe, at least arguably, the best offensive line in the NFL. Jamison Williams basically redshirted his rookie year because of that ACL injury that he had in college. He should be back and ready to go. Now, I know he's going to have a suspension, and that hurts. But when he comes back, he's going to be healthy, fresh legs, ready to go. There's another explosive playmaker to add to this arsenal. Now, Goff has a chance to lead the Lions to their first NFC North title since 1993. I think they have a legit shot to do it this year. That division feels really wide open, especially with Rodgers out of town. And if they win the division, Goff puts up great numbers in the process, which which I think he can. He could be in the mix for MVP as well. Yeah, I was looking at that, and you're absolutely right about Ben Johnson. That's a name that we that everyone needs to keep at the tip of their tongue for next year's uh, coach openings. But, you know, it is with Jameer Gibbs, but the one constant thing, and they built that team, I don't want to say old school, but they did build that team from the inside out. They got that offensive line, and anybody can run. If you're a talented back, you can get a 1,000 yards. You can do a lot of what Jamal Williams did and a lot of what they did. And if Jameer Gibbs is anything what they draft, where they drafted him at, he's a guy that's going to be able to do some things and be able to carry, help carry them because they are going to be missing some things, not having Jameson Williams for those first couple of games and just simply relying on Amon St. Brown. I'm not sure of the rest of their run of their excuse me the rest of their receiving crew if i'm not mistaken it's a little weak there so they can say he's if he is able to pull through and do some things jared goff will definitely be a person to look out for as we know 
teams now have a, a year under that looking at that offense. So he's going to be facing a, a couple of different looking defenses that are kind of going to be hip to what they've been doing and looking at what they've been doing, especially when you only have truly one weapon for the most part that's going to be out there. I know they have Josh Reynolds and I know they went back and I got, I know they brought back Marvin Jones, but Amon St. Brown Ross, excuse me, Amon Ross St. Brown is the one guy, the one receiver that is the stand out there. So it'll be interesting to watch because that would be an interesting bet if he's able to maintain and get through the gauntlet until he gets a lot of his weapons back. So I said I was going to go back and I was going to find one non-quarterback, as we know, this is a quarterback award mostly. I'm going to call out Christian McCaffrey. If Christian McCaffrey in this offense with his ability to catch and his ability to run can play for 17 games, I am looking at him having anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500 yards and 20 touchdowns, which would definitely, and that team being successful as well, and him being the crux of everything happening on offense for the most part, I think that would put him, well, no, excuse me, I believe that would put him in the MVP running. And if that team is that successful, you would have to have a strong consideration for him to be MVP with his ability to run, his ability to catch, his ability to be spread out, not just a run, not just an outlet as a running back, but no, you can actually put him in motion and put him in the slot because he runs routes like a right wide, excuse me, like a wide receiver. He can put up some numbers. Like I said, 2,000 to 2,500 yards. He did last year put up 1,880 with 13 touchdowns. So I'm pushing it up 200 yards between 2,000 and 2,500 with 20 touchdowns. He would need to get another seven to get to the 20 mark. But I think that would firmly put him in position to be MVP. Man, I like that one a lot, Alex. No doubt about it. He's a guy that certainly could be a dark horse MVP because, like you said, all the things he does for that offense as a pass catcher, a running back, the total yards and everything that he can do, finding the end zone and just being such a key player, quite frankly, probably the best offensive player on that team. And we know it's one of the only contenders in the NFL that doesn't have a premier quarterback. So he becomes the de facto star of that team offensively. If they make another deep run or have a great season, like a lot of people expect they will, and they're in the mix for a one seed and he's putting up monster numbers, I think that's the kind of storyline that can get you some MVP buzz for sure. I've got a non-quarterback as well, Alex. How about Jonathan Taylor running back for the Colts? This is a guy that had some injuries last season and it really he really struggled because of the injuries wasn't quite the player that we had seen in years past but now there's a whole new element to this team bring over Shane Steichen the former offensive coordinator for the Eagles now as the head coach now you've got a rookie quarterback in Anthony Richardson who is electric as far as athletic ability and what he's going to be able to bring to the table with his running ability and some big passing plays down the field what we saw from Shane Steichen in this Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts, I expect him to bring a lot of those same elements and same philosophies to this Colts team. And with that, it's going to be really tough to stop when you've got an athletic quarterback that can run the ball. It's going to open up things for a guy like Jonathan Taylor. This team is going to run, 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 and run some more. And I think that could lend itself to Jonathan Taylor not only having a bounce-back season, but possibly a monster season where he puts up big enough numbers to put himself in the mix. 
Absolutely. I mean, what we saw from him two years ago before the injury he sustained last year was monster. I know because I had him in fantasy <laughs> and nobody else picked him. But if he can repeat that, and again, with Shane Steichen there, who was the architect of what they were doing in Philly and with Anthony Richardson, should he be the starter? No, they haven't named one yet. They, excuse me. They haven't named him the starter, but should he be the starter? The things that he can probably put together, Jonathan Taylor will reap all the benefits of what they would do in their running game. And if anything, what we saw two years ago is an indication, you're absolutely right. He would be in the MVP running as well. All right, season right around the corner, like we've been talking about. Training camp is here. We're getting closer. Time for us to preview these divisions, Alex. Let's start NFL champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously playing that AFC West. So I thought that would be the perfect place to start. I'm sorry to say, Alex, let's start at the bottom of the division, though, with your Las Vegas Raiders. Big question marks for this team. Is Jimmy Garoppolo healthy? I know there's been some reports that said, yeah, it looks like he's going to be ready to go. Can he stay healthy? That's a huge question mark. Will Josh Jacobs play for the Raiders? We talked about that situation. Is Josh McDaniels capable of being a head coach in the NFL? This is a guy who took over a playoff team. This offseason, they moved Darren Waller and Derek Carr. There's trade rumors now surrounding Hunter Renfro, a guy who two years ago had a 100-catch, 1,000-yard year and was a pro bowler. I mean, he's one of the best slot wide receivers in the NFL. This team blew more halftime touchdown leads than any other team in the NFL last year with five. The offense was good, if you look at it analytically, but not great. And the defense was awful. Alex, what do you expect from your Raiders? Listen, it's a running joke in spaces that we share, Brad, that I say I want the Raiders to go on my beloved Raiders to go on 19, and we know why. I won't elaborate on that here. However, if you want me to be real realistic in what I'm looking at, what I would like and what I'm seeing, so you're correct, Jimmy Garoppolo did finally pass the physical, and he is now... And he is now able to go to camp and start camp. I believe that starts, uh, actually started today. So I actually want to see more of Aiden. I was hoping that he could be healthy, but I was hoping that he was out a little bit longer because I wanted to look, have a bigger and better look at Aiden O'Connell. As you know, if you go back a few drafts, that is the quote unquote Brock Purdy that I chose coming out from Purdue for this draft. I wanted to see more of him. Now, if you want to talk about our offense, we look good offensively. Devontae Adams is the number one wide receiver in, in, you know, the number one wide receiver in the league. I don't know. Argue with your mom. I don't have anything for that. We brought in Jacoby Myers, who is a good number two, will be a good, solid number two. I'm unsure what the deal is with Hunter Renfro because Josh McDaniels, who comes from Wes Welker and comes from Julian Edelman, we, we, you would think he would have been able to unlock him again last year because he was unlocked the, the year before, but he did not do anything with that. Our offensive line is still not up to par as far as I am concerned. It was a patchwork job outside of Colton Miller and perhaps Andre James. We really, our offensive, and we did not draft any offensive linemen in the draft either. So I was very confused by that. And that's supposed to be something you need in the trenches to do anything offensively. I will give them credit for bringing in Austin Hooper and drafting and drafting Michael Mayer. We know how I felt about Michael Mayer. He is a Jason Witten clone to me. He'll be great on that line blocking and Austin Hooper if they decide to go to 11 personnel, what they'll be able to do once they have Josh Jacobs on in camp. The issue here is going to always be defense. It's Max Crosby and then everybody else. We can talk about Chandler Jones as a name, 
but he has not shown us except for that moment in against the Patriots where he had the tip interception for, I'm sorry, the fumble recovery reception for the uh, touchdown that helped them win that game. But other than that, we don't have linebackers. We don't have interior linemen. I'm going to leave Tyree Wilson to the side. We don't have cornerbacks. We did just sign Marcus Peters. I'm not too sure how that works, however, but we do have a decent nickelback that showed uh, showed something last year in Nate Hobbs. And then the coaching. So I don't know what the Raiders are doing. Of course, anything can happen, but I do not like the way that this team is shaping up. I do like what they did with the first two picks in the draft. And Tyree Wilson's actually out on a non-football injury, so he's not even in camp. I just don't like the roster. The roster is simply not good. I I, I don't know what they're doing, but this is just going to be another mundane year for the Raiders. Outside of two outside of uh, two years ago and then 2016, it's just for the last 20 years since we went to the Super Bowl, it's just been atrocious and it looks like it's going to continue. But I will say, I'll say this, I can't see them winning more than five games. I'm hoping less, but and we know why, but I can't see them winning more than five games this year. Before signing Marcus Peters, it looked like they were slated to start David Long Jr. and Duke Shelley. Neither of these guys has ever been a full-time starter. I'm sure they're both going to get substantial minutes, though, in the secondary. It's possible, Alex, that it looks like four or even all five of the starting secondary spots could see some change from last year. And you're going up against guys like Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson twice a season this secondary, I think, is in some serious trouble. Now, you mentioned they drafted Tyree Wilson, their first pick. He's supposed to bolster that pass rush alongside Max Crosby and Chandler Jones. I like his upside, but he's a pretty raw prospect. We talked a lot about him, broke down his tape during the draft stuff. Big upside guy, but I'm not sure he has a big impact year one. I think he's a guy that has some developing to do, so I'm not sure what kind of impact that's going to bring. I don't know how this team is not picking in the top 10 in the draft next April and looking for a new head coach as well. Let's jump to the Denver Broncos here, Alex. Biggest question for the Broncos, I don't think there's any doubt about it, is will Russell Wilson bounce back and play at a high level? That's really the question that swirls around this team Now, Peyton was hired to clean up the mess from Wilson's terrible season last year in Denver. There's no option for the Denver Broncos to potentially break up with Wilson because they gave him that five-year, $245 million contract extension before he even played a game in Denver. So they really only had one choice here, Alex. They had to find a coach that they felt like could turn his game around and get him back on track and make this team the contender that they thought they were going to be last season Or if they don't, this is going to go down as one of the worst trades ever for Denver, one of the best trades ever for Seattle. Not going to be easy with a tough schedule and losing their defensive coordinator from last year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we're seeing with Denver is everything. There's a lot riding on a lot of players here. I'll, you know, run through the roster really quick. With the exception of Tim Patrick, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy are in contract years in terms of Cortland Sutton can be cut and they can refuse Jerry Judy and move him, move on from him because they did draft Marvin Mims in the second round. So there is somebody in waiting that they believe in. So those guys have pressure on them. We know that the running back has a little bit of pressure coming back from injury. We know that Russell has pressure. We'll leave the defense alone because they've proven their point last year. There's a lot riding on what this offense can do. 
And I think that's going to bode for some exciting football if you're a fan in Denver. They did kind of solidify that line with Mike McGlinchey getting him from San Francisco. So the right side of that line will be taken care of. And depending on how you feel about Garrett Bowles, who I think is average at best, on the left side of that. And then in the middle, they did bring in Ben Powers. So the offensive line, they did kind of stabilize the offensive line a little bit by bringing in a few people. But again, at that's those skill positions, the quarterback, the running back, and the two spots at wide receiver, they're going to have guys that are vying for contracts, whether it is to stay with Denver or wherever they go next. And then Javante Williams to prove what we've been talking about, the running back position, that it is not an issue and he can bounce back. So it's going to be interesting if Sean Payton can write the shit with Russell Wilson. We know that we've heard some people actually talking about Denver going to the Super Bowl. That may be a possibility if Sean Payton can come in, write the ship with the moves that they made off uh, in the offseason, in free agency, with the offensive line, and then him as an offensive coordinator. Now. I do have a caveat with Sean Payton. He's been ballied about as a QB whisperer. I don't think he's that guy. I kind of think he's a little bit overrated because you've never seen him with any other quarterback than Drew Brees. And when we start, start talking about QB whisperers, we're talking about the Andy Reeds and the Kyle Shanahan's that's been in multiple places with multiple different offenses and quarterbacks. And we've seen them take them from perhaps mediocre or in the trash can and take them to different heights. We have not seen that with Sean Payton. So from my perspective, there is a little bit of overrated salt on top of this, but we'll give him the benefit of doubt of what he's been able to do and what we, the small sample size we saw that he did with Jameis Winston, that Russell's talented enough and that he's a good enough coach to come in and write that. But I will, but I wanted to make that statement because I, I, I believe, I believe that. And it's a hot take that I have, and I'm going to continue to make hot takes no matter what. So it'll be interesting to see how Denver plays this whole season. I think there are a lot of people watching Denver to see how this plays out. Man, that is a spicy take there, Alex. I like it. I like it a lot. We're going to find out, man. There's no doubt about it. We are going to find out just how good Sean Payton is because, like you said, whole new challenge, whole new team, new quarterback. We're going to really find out if he is truly one of the elite coaches, one of the elite offensive minds that everyone has said he is for so many years in New Orleans. But I like that take. Now, they traded for tight end Adam Troutman, who was a guy who was in New Orleans with Payton. When he came out of college, I loved his upside. Now, he didn't live up to it. But I'm thinking maybe Peyton, knowing his game, maybe he can unlock it in Denver. You mentioned the offensive line. They beefed up the O-line, adding Ben Powers and Mike McGlinchey. Might have overpaid for Mike McGlinchey. Side note here, I, I don't know if he was worth that much. But both guys are really good run-blocking players, and I think that is going to lead to this team being more of a running team first, which is really going to be interesting. I don't think we're going to see a similar offense to that Saints high-powered passing attack that we saw for so many years in New Orleans. Now, I think they had a nice draft. I think the Broncos added some nice pieces there as far as some young guys, and they replaced Jones and Chubb on the defensive line with Frank Clark and Zach Allen. I don't think we're going to see a big drop-off up front like you touched on. I don't think the defense is going to take a big drop-off. Now, they lost their defensive coordinator. So that is interesting. We're going to see how much of an impact that's going to have, but there's still a lot of talent on that side of the ball. Now, we did see some late-season improvement from Russ last year, and it's not overstated to say everything really depends on him being able to bounce back here. I mean, this whole season, this whole experiment, everything, it all comes back to Russ. Now, they are deep at wide receiver. 
but they don't have an elite wide receiver. And I think that needs to be pointed out here because they've got a lot of guys that are good. I don't know if anybody's great, but I think Russ can rebound. When I look at this team going into this season, I think he can rebound because I think this Denver team is going to look more like those old Seahawks teams that Russ had success with early in his career, a power run game that sets up the play action, the rollouts for Wilson to be able to take shots down the field. And you pair that with a strong defense I think Sean Payton is looking for that formula to kind of bring Russ back to what we saw years ago. All right, let's jump to the LA Chargers. We talked about Herbert, that big contract. Now it gets interesting, Alex, because they bring over Kellen Moore, the former offensive coordinator for the Cowboys. He takes over as the offensive coordinator for the Chargers. Can Kellen Moore elevate this offense? That's going to be a big question mark going into this season. Now, Moore had the Cowboys offense ranked fourth in the league in points, 11th in total yards, and that was Dak Prescott at quarterback. Now, nothing against Dak. We know he's a good player. He's a solid quarterback, but he's not even close to the talent of a Justin Herbert. So now you're going to give Kellen Moore a guy who's got a much better skill set, a bigger arm, and even though the Cowboys had a consistently good offense with Moore, a lot of Dallas fans were actually excited to see him go here. Now, Joe Lombardi was the offense coordinator last year for the Chargers. His offense was tough to watch. I mean, it, it was brutal at times. It was dink and dunk all day. They didn't utilize Herbert's ability to stretch the field. Now, Moore is a guy who likes to utilize the deep ball. Herbert has an absolute cannon. So this is going to be an interesting pairing here. He's one of the most accurate passers in the NFL, as we know. They add first-round pick, TCU wideout Quentin Johnston. Big guy, big play guy. He's a deep ball sideline wide receiver. They bring back most of their roster from last season, but I'm curious, Alex, where you where you land here with the Chargers here? I think this is a really fascinating team this offseason. Yeah, looking at the Chargers, you went through some of the roster. Listen, I'm an AFC West guy as a Raiders fan. I've been watching the Chargers probably for the last 20 years, except for maybe the Patrick Mahomes years. They have always had the most talented team in our division. Even during the Peyton Manning years when they had what they had, they have always, always, always have had the most talented team to do nothing in our league, and I think it's going to continue again this year. I want to get, I want to throw out three numbers to you. 595, 672, 699. Those are Justin Herbert's pass attempts. The why you mentioned that Dallas Dallas fans were happy to see Kellen Moore go, it's because he ran, excuse me, he threw more than he ran, and when he should have been running, he kept throwing. Justin Herbert will have over 700 attempts this year, and he's going to throw more interceptions. Last year, he was 25 TDs and 10 interceptions on basically 700 attempts. He's going to go over that mark this year because he is not going to run the ball, nor does he have the running game that he had, even though Austin Eckler is a very good running back. I'm speaking more of the running game, not the running specific running back. The tandem, regardless of what you think about Zeke, he was a positive back that played, and Tony Powell was able to play off of him. He is going to throw that ball. That, that completion percentage that you just spoke to is going to drop, and he's going to throw 12-plus interceptions this year. I don't know how many touchdowns he'll have, but he's 1,000% going to throw more than 700 passes just based on the history of Kellen Moore. It is not going to work. Brandon Stale is going to get fired, and they're going to be a year too late 
to bring in Sean Payton. They're going to have to figure it out because they should have done this this past offseason instead of waiting to just only change the offensive coordinator this season. This is going to be this is going to end bad. And if not for the Raiders being in the division, I believe that the, the Chargers would be last place in this division. I'm with you, Alex. I'm completely with you. I don't buy into Kellen Moore at all. Not at all. And, and like I touched on, their offense in, in Dallas had good numbers. And you touched on it there, too, with Justin Herbert. This offense for the LA Chargers, I'm sure, is going to have great numbers because that's what Kellen Moore does. But it's empty when you can't utilize the balanced attack that you're going to need to have to win at a high level. And that's something that they failed to do time and time again in Dallas. And I think that's why they made this change. I expect more of the same, just with a better quarterback. The coaching staff for this team just can't get out of its own way. We have continually beat up on Brandon Staley. I think he's got the hottest hot seat of any coach in the entire NFL. This was a desperation move to bring in an offensive coordinator to try to save his job. And I don't think it's going to work. I'm with you. I think Herbert's going to be a beast in fantasy, but this team being good is not a reality. And that's really the truth here. Now, the Chargers are going to bring back most of the roster. Like I said, their only significant free agent addition was linebacker Eric Kendricks. Kenneth Murray on the defensive side of the ball, obviously linebacker that hasn't lived up to expectations going into year four. JC Jackson looked like a disaster of a free agent signing last year and was benched at one point. Derek Ansley is taking over for Ronaldo Hill as a defensive coordinator, but Brandon Staley is the guy that calls LA's defensive plays. And this defense has been terrible since he's been there. I'm sorry, if that's not a red flag, I don't know what is. You're a defensive coordinator. You're a defensive-minded guy, and your defense is what's holding you back the most. That is a huge red flag as a head coach. Now, the Chargers have a top-heavy roster. Like you touched on, Alex, it's got a lot of talent, but really not very much depth, especially at several different positions. Staying healthy is going to be big for this team. I think they're going to have to stay healthy because they just don't have, like I mentioned, the depth behind some of these key players. They have the NFL's eighth most challenging schedule next season, according to Pro Football Network. So this is not going to be easy. This division is not going to be easy. This conference we know is not going to be easy. Absolutely fascinating team. And if they underachieve again this year, they're going to be forced to make some serious changes. All right, let's wrap it up with the champs here, Alex. Big question mark for me around this team is who's going to emerge as the Chiefs number one wide receiver. You mentioned it recently, Alex, that there could be maybe a little chink in the armor, as you put it, with this Kansas City Chiefs team. Now, Kansas City lost Juju Smith-Schuster and McCall Hardman in free agency. Those guys can bind for 135 targets last season. So someone's got to fill that void. Now, Kadarius Toney, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, and rookie Rasheed Rice are the guys that we're going to see out there for Mahomes. Who's going to step up for this team is going to be interesting. I think we're going to see Mahomes spread the ball around a lot like he did last year. But Alex, I think Sky Moore is the guy that I'm circling to become the number one wide receiver option in this offense. I loved this kid coming out of Western Michigan last year. Dynamic playmaker. He plays bigger than his size. Huge hands. He makes all the tough catches over the middle, even through contact. He started coming on late in the year last season, caught his first touchdown in the Super Bowl. For me, he's the guy to watch for at the wide receiver group. What do you think? 
So this 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 I have two thoughts here because I believe Andy Reid is the best offensive coordinator play designer and caller in the league. And you're absolutely right. We talked about Rasheed Rice, what he did at SMU and looking like he can possibly be a guy. But as of right now, Kadarius Tony actually is on the PUP list, if I'm not mistaken. He had injuries as a Gator fan. He had injuries at Florida outside of being a knucklehead, but he did have issues staying healthy. He had issues staying healthy last year, and it looks like it's following him again. So a guy as talented as that, we don't know. Uh, MVS is a nine-route guy. He He's a strictly an X guy, and I know that Andy Reid likes to be multiple, but he cannot be multiple with MVS. He's strictly an X guy. And so you're absolutely right. That leaves us with looking at Sky more as the guy to emerge in that slot, playing and running those intermediate routes similar to Travis Kelsey, where we know Andy Reid can design something there and take advantage of his speed and his quickness. And then there's also still Travis Kelsey as the quote-unquote de facto number one. But I want to I talk about two things that we haven't really talked about. Regardless of what people feel about Orlando Brown, he was a state, he was a stalwart at that position for them. And then before him, they had Eric Fisher. So they've always had good tackles. This year, they're going in with two unknowns. Perhaps we, we can call them solid, Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith. Donovan Smith has been a little bit has been a little bit injured, but those are the two that they're going with. Now, interior-wise, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, and Trey Smith, they've shown to be solid all the way through. And actually, Joe Tooney being an all-pro and a, and a perennial pro bowler as well. I think the key here is a person that was a seventh-round pick that we were put on to during training camp last year, Brad, and Isaiah Pacheco. I would not be surprised to see a lot of 11 personnel from Kansas City early as they bring Sky Moore along, as they bring Rasheed Rice along as well. And not to mention what we saw from Noah Gray and Jody Fortson last year, those two guys at the tight end position proved to also be multiple split I call them split tight ends or this new age tight end that can stay off the line and do some things with, and they can put them on the line and do a lot of different things. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's a little wrinkle there offensively. Now, the real issue is defensively. We mentioned it before with Chris Jones, Frank Clark, Carlos Dunlap, a lot of those guys are now gone. They are playing with a very young defense with the exception of Chris Jones everybody and let's just say Justin Reed as well everybody else is a very is a two or three year player we're just talking about these starters there are not a lot of veterans here so I think you can possibly see the chink in the armor with what I said with the offensive line and then also on the defensive side as well because they're used to having a lot of those guys that are wily veterans that can help everybody else but now they've just gone young Obviously, Patrick Mahomes' contract kicked in, and then they did a lot of things with Travis Kelsey's contract as well. And now Chris Jones needs money. So they're really going to rely on their drafting. Nick, They hit on Nick Bolton. We love, we saw what Nick Bolton did in the Super Bowl, so we know that he's a guy. But I think that's where I was talking about with the chink in the armor is that this defense is very, very, very young. There are no veterans on this defense, Chris Jones aside, but there is a lot to be desired from what I see looking at the roster. They look like a few guys, but we simply do not know what they can do when Patrick Mahomes is not off the field. And being that they're going to have, they're not going to be able to perhaps put up as much points. 
I think we're going to see this may be the year they're 10 and 7, maybe 11 and 6, which is not bad. But I think the chink in the armor is the dominance that we've seen over the past since Patrick Mahomes has been the starter on this team. I don't think we're going to see that dominance. I want to jump back to the offensive line because I'm glad you brought that up because I was looking at this too and I wanted to dig in some into some numbers because there is some big question marks here suddenly with this offensive line. Orlando Brown and Andrew Wiley gone this offseason. You touched on that. They brought in Juwan Taylor and Donovan Smith, two new tackles starting for Kansas City. That's a big deal. We know how important the tackle position is for a team like Kansas City, especially a team that likes to throw the ball as much as they do. Now, I looked into the PFF numbers on these guys, and I wanted to see how how good are they here because I think a lot of Chiefs fans are, maybe are pumping these guys up to be better than they actually are because once I dug into, dug into the analytics, I was actually kind of surprised with some of their grades. Taylor earned a 75.9 PFF pass blocking grade in 2022. That tied for 30th in the NFL, and he had a 39.7 PFF run blocking grade that was the worst among starting offensive tackles. There's some big drop-offs here if you want to look at the analytics. Now, Donovan Smith, he struggled last season. He allowed six sacks and committed a league-high seven holding penalties. I think it's safe to say, Alex, I think the tackle spot could be a serious issue for Kansas City this year. Rookie offensive tackle, Wanya Morris, I think he's a player to watch here in training camp. He was a third-round pick out of Oklahoma. Depending on how quickly he comes along, what kind of talent this guy is, I know you mentioned, Alex, you really liked him coming out of Oklahoma when we did the draft stuff. He might be a guy that's in the mix for a starting position here because, like I said here, when you look at the numbers and you kind of dig a little deeper, there's some pretty big question marks up front here. Now, on the defensive side, Edge Frank Clark, we know, signed with the Broncos. He had five sacks last season, still a solid player. Carlos Dunlap is a free agent, a guy who's past his prime, but he still played 17 games and had four sacks last year. So you're like you said, they're losing some veteran presence there up front. It's going to be a young defense. Now, I like a lot of these young defensive players. I, I really do. And I think they're going to be okay. But there is certainly some question marks or maybe more question marks around any defending Super Bowl champion that I can remember because they've got some things that they're going to have to change here on the fly. But here's the thing. They still have arguably the best head coach in the league. Bill Belichick, we know, is the GOAT. But right now, Andy Reid, you could certainly make a case, is right there as the top coach in the NFL, the best quarterback in the league, as we know the best pass-catching tight end in the NFL, and quite frankly, a very underrated defensive coordinator in, St in Steve Spagnuolo, I think the Chiefs in the long run are going to be just fine. But guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Before we go, I want to give a shout-out to our friends at The Tailgate Foodie for sponsoring today's episode. Be sure to check them out at thetailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.